Jesus because they looked at Joseph's son, the carpenter's son who worked with Joseph in woodworking. They didn't see the Christ, the Messiah, because they were looking at him in the flesh. Now, most times that's what we do, right? Especially in in a close relational thing, is we look at each other in the flesh of who we are. It's probably really hard for parents and children not to see your child in the way that, in the flesh is the way they've been growing, bickering with one another, whatever, growing up. But the issue is that God has a purpose and a destiny in each of our lives, a calling, right? Each one of you has a purpose and a destiny. And that thing, like I've spoke one other time, you being on the potter's wheel and God molding you and creating you into the image that he has destined you. That's what he's about. That's what he's doing. So each one of us is in transit, if you will, to becoming that. And that's what we need to see when we look at one another. We need to look and see, what is God doing? Where, what are they becoming? What is the purpose of that individual? Could you imagine like going to the church maybe that Catherine Coleman went to as she was just getting saved as a kid or whatever. I don't know her whole story as a young person. But, you know, she's going, you know, living, going to church, worshiping, and, and not knowing that one day God would put, and all the circumstances and everything that was going on in her life, he was molding and shaping her to the day he went now. He prepared her, and she began to walk in this wonderful, wonderful anointing where she, you know, God was able to heal multitudes of people and bring all kinds of people to himself in salvation. Isn't that wonderful? Eh? Yes. Yes, that's another day. (laughs) So we are all in this place. But that's the hard thing is what we want to do is begin to have the eyes of Jesus for one another. And I think what what Oprah said, if you'll tuck that in your heart, you too will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. As you begin to see Christ in you and what he's doing in you, then all of a sudden you'll be able to withstand storms and circumstances because you'll recognize these two have come to help shape us. And I know it's not easy. I'm not standing up here saying, hey, it's a breeze. It's not. Hard things. Very hard things. You know, one of the songs they sang last night was about a lady uh, who's is it her daughter, right, who had died of cancer. And it just impacted them. The way she walked through it, we knew she was a Christian. The way she walked through it and her response and everything out of it, they wrote a song. And it impacted them. Again, because she, she obviously was able to, to make that transition through it. And she would have had low tides. You and I both know that. But the character of Christ was working out and strengthening her and bringing her to that place. So I, uh, I think that's what we need to hang on to with one another, especially with our children, especially. Sue Lanz is not here this morning. She always corrects me on that one. Ah, ah, especially. So I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I felt that 
what he wanted me to do was to share, and I know some of you know this, and um, bear with me when some of you don't. I'm going to share my testimony this morning. For those that don't know, so that, <clears throat> and those that do, maybe you'll hear something again and it will encourage you. Because Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Powerful scripture for each one of us. It says, And they overcame him, that's the devil, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even unto death. They overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Revelation chapter 19, just up the street, verse 10. <laughs> she got it. <clears throat> and as I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus, worship and worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I love that scripture. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Everyone in this room has a testimony. And that testimony, it prophesies. Every time you share it, it prophesies out Jesus Christ is alive. He came off the cross 2,000 years ago. He came and he touched my life. His fingerprints are all over me and brought me out of darkness. He lives. The tomb is empty. It prophesies not only to the individual that you're speaking, and whenever you're speaking to them, they hear what you're saying. It cuts right into the heart because they can't argue with it. It's not theology. You can debate theology till the cows come home, mad cow disease or not. But the reality is when you speak your testimony, they cannot argue with it. They can either receive the word of the Lord at that moment the prophetic testimony of Jesus, or they can turn away. And that's the ultimate decision. And many make choices at that moment. Oh, I love the presence of the Lord. Wasn't it good this morning? I just, oh God, more of your presence, Lord. You know, it's soon. Something's rumbling real soon. Just seeing that veil of God's heart opening this morning as I seen that. Oh, man, what a blessing. Hmm. I'll give you a little bit of background. Like you, I was born at an early age. That was a Jerry Steingart joke for those. Only Jerry would really appreciate that. <laughs> mm. Anyways, 
My, my parents were divorced when I was about around three years old. And I went to live with my grandparents. Um, I lived with my grandparents until I was 10. I don't remember very much of those years at all, with my parents especially. The only thing I remember about that is uh, a vague memory in my mind is a song. And the other thing was my father taking me out of a car, you know, like in a, getting an oil change and they lift the car up in the garage. I must have been afraid up in the car. I was left in the car while the car went up on the hoist. I probably asked for it. Who knows? But anyways, all I remember is I'm up, up in this car and he opened the door and, and took me out of the car. That's all I remember really of, of my parents at that stage of my life. So obviously I was happy about that. <laughs> it was a good memory. Um, during those years, uh, I was incredibly bitter about the divorce. I figured it wasn't fair that, that my, both my sisters, I have two sisters, one two years older than me and one about 36, I think, or 38. You can do the math. <clears throat> Anyways... Two, two sisters, they both went to live with my mother, and I didn't. I went to live with my grandparents. Now, who knows why? But anyways, I was really bitter about that because, you know, I, I always wanted to see my parents back together. This is a common thing. But at the time, for a small child, it's not a common thing. It's a devastating thing. And so everything, like those little things, were memories. And I spent a lot of time at different periods weeping about this. And I did, and nobody really knew about it. And the reason was, was I just so much wanted to be a part of a family and have parents. And at 10 years old, my grandmother died. And when she died, I was really devastated because she was really my security blanket that I held on to. Because I had a lot of fears. Um, at that time, I was, you know, when I lived there, I was able to load up with witchcraft and spirits of the fear of death and all kinds of different things came into my life while the time I lived there. I've seen that, had deliverance for it, had been set free from it. But just had an incredible love for my grandmother because she was my security. Plus, she really was the reason I stand up here other than Jesus Christ this morning. Because she was a Methodist. I found out years and years later, didn't know about it. But she prayed for me every day. She taught me about prayer. And God brought me five, six years, maybe ten years ago, back to a couple of events back there where I experienced his presence and I knew him. And he was there overshadowing my life. And so I knew that he used my grandmother to intercede for me and to bring me into the kingdom. So all of us entered into the kingdom because of intercession, because someone, somewhere, God used to draw you. And one time the Lord showed me this. I was standing in a vision, and I was standing by a river, and I, seen, I looked down into the river, and there were all these people in the river, and it was going into hell. It's like a big gulf, and all these people were just being swept into hell. And I said, God, why am I standing on the bank of the river? What makes me special? What am I up here for? And the Lord said, because your grandmother interceded for you, and I reached in and I pulled you out and set you on the bank. Now I want you to go and begin to pray and pull people out of that river. 
out of that gulf that's taking them to hell. And it was full, jam-packed, no air pockets. Very serious. During that time, I was told at 10 years old that my mother didn't want me. And that, and for a 10-year-old, that's pretty heavy. And again, because my grandmother had died, <coughs> excuse me, um, I didn't know where I was going to go. I felt abandoned. I didn't, know, I didn't have any roots, no basic trust, and didn't know where it was all going to end. And so then uh, my aunt and uncle said that I could come and live with them. So I went to live with them for six years until I was 16 years of age. And at 16 years of age, I moved out and began to live on my own. And from then on, I've been on my own, moved different places. Um, I started, like most young people, drinking, you know, at the age of, say, 12, 13 years old, 14, 15. I started doing drugs, doing a lot of drugs, spent 10 years as a drug addict, doing many different kinds of drugs and doing drugs every day. The reason I did drugs every day is because it made me feel good and because it blanketed the pain of what was inside. When I was 16 years old, my sister said to me, I remember her coming up to me, my older sister, and said to me, they're not getting back together. Quit whining and get over it. And at that moment, it ended. Right? There was no more sorrow. It was gone. Years later, because I was an adult, I began to understand what had taken place, you know, the damage in people's lives. And I was able to get ministry and get healing for that. And I love both of my parents. I understand it doesn't take away the damage or the, the travel journey you have to make. Again, everyone here has a testimony, has had to walk through things. One isn't greater than another. It's just different. It's just different. It, it enables me to, uh, to help people that can relate to this. That's why um, the Lord has given me my life message is the Father heart of God. And some of you have heard it. That's another whole message. Because God revealed himself as a father to me years later and healed me. Really, that's the, I stand up here on the love of the Father. I'm free and healed because of God the Father. That's why I'm able to be where I am. So doing drugs all those years, you know, just, um, I thought I'd found heaven, really. Years later to find out that, you know, a lot of that's a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. That's really what it is. Thought I'd found freedom. Now, basically, I was just, you know... The, the individual in the group that just like to have fun, you know? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, you know, every night, in, you know, go to the bars, go on tour, you know? Everything was a joke, and basically only really thought about myself and getting high. And I uh, didn't like to do anything. I didn't like being straight. I wanted to be high. So I got high every day, every place I went, you know? I didn't like to go anywhere straight. Then I had an event take place that sort of shocked my life. I was working at a place, and I left work to, to, get, to go home. I worked evenings, so I'd work till 2 in the morning. And then I uh, went to a guy's house, and then I was heading home. And I hadn't done any drugs that night. I drank a beer, I think. And uh, it was 5 o'clock, 
and I was heading home from Stratford to Shakespeare, and at that time, there was uh, just a single lane through the S-curves out there. There was only a single, like not four lanes, but two. And I was going through there, and I used to practice as a young kid going through there, and young people don't listen to this. I used to practice going through there at high speeds as fast as I could go through it, you know, 100, 120 mile an hour. And, and I had these cars that were fairly fast, so you could do that. You'd go in low and come out high and out of the curves. Anyways, this morning, I just totaled my car, and, and um, this guy had run. It wasn't my fault. The guy ran into me and totaled the car. Just so, you know. Anyway, I'm driving my aunt's Vauxhall, which is like a little tin can on wheels with no belts. And I was doing 80 mile an hour in it, chasing a vet, which was ridiculous, you know, when you think about it. But anyways, I was doing 80 mile an hour through the curves, and as I, as I came up into the curves, um, there was this St. Mary's cement truck coming the other way, a flatbed. And what had happened was I had been smoking a cigarette, and the lit part of the cigarette fell on my shirt. And so it was starting to sort of melt into the shirt, and so I was trying to get it off because it was hot. And then I looked up, and there was the cement truck in front of me. So I swerved to miss the cement truck, and I hit the gravel. And when it hit the gravel, uh, I, I shifted down into third, and then the thought hit my mind was, you know, it's 5.30, and i got to get home to bed because i got to get up, and i I got to pick my girlfriend up at 3.30 in the afternoon, and so i got to get home. And I wasn't really afraid. I'd been off the highway many times in many ways before, and so it didn't really bug me. I was sort of nuts in a car, so it didn't really, really bother me, you know. So what I did is just banged it back up and went up on the highway. Now, what happened was either the front uh, left tire blew or I cranked it. This I'm not sure. Either that or I cranked the wheel. I used to have a car with a wider wheelbase, and I cranked it too far. Either way, the car flipped. Now, I'm 19 years old. I think that at this point, I think, you know, I have a belief in God. But my belief in God is I've been uh, to a united church as a kid, you know, I knew about David, I knew about Joseph and his coat of many colors, and that's about it. My faith and belief in God was that one day you die, and there's this weigh scale, like a balance beam. If your good outweighs your bad, you're in. If your bad outweighs your good, you're not in. And I think you'd be surprised how many actually have that theology in the world. I think it's a fairly common theology that the devil preaches. You know, so anyways, <clears throat> as the car flipped, it flipped six times end over end and slid for 260 feet, and I totaled it. It was just totally rote. Roof was squashed down. I'm going to show you what happened in the natural, and then I'll go to the spirit. What happened was my body was thrown out of the car through the side window as the roof was coming down, and it rolled on the asphalt and ended up laying in the gravel about 10 feet from the car. Car's upside down, totaled, gas is running out of it, right? Rote. Now, in the spirit, what takes place? Well, both sort of, but this is what I see. All of a sudden, the car's flipping, and I'm thinking to myself, everything goes into slow motion. A lot can take place in 10, 15 seconds with the Lord. Probably hours, maybe days if he wants it to. He's not controlled by time. He can just enter into the situation. So, 
As the car's flipping, everything goes in slow motion. I can hear the glass busting and metal slowly crunching and bending. In my mind, I said, this isn't really happening. This only happens in movies. It doesn't happen to me. Crash. I'm seeing the sky. Then I see the ash, the gray asphalt. Then I see the sky. Then an awareness comes over me. We call it revelation. Oh, yeah, this is happening to you. At that moment, I, I began to recognize what was going on. And in my spirit, I cried out to God. said, oh, God, help me. Now, he showed me years later that at that second, I was on my way to hell. That was my destiny at that moment. He reached in and he grabbed me because I called on his name. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. At that moment, as I called on the Lord, my life began to pass before my eyes. And I began to see all the different events and things that had taken place in my life. I began to see the way I treated people. And and I just began to cry out and ask for forgiveness. I didn't even know about repentance. But I was asking God to forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me for that. And, you know, for the way I treated people. All these different individuals and what I'd done to them. And it was like there was this decision going on. I stood in the balance of a decision of whether or not I was going to die or live. And I began to say, oh, God, if you'll let me live, I will do it differently. If you will let me, give me another chance and let me live, I will live differently. I will do things differently. I was aware of a presence, God's presence. I didn't see anything, but it was like I was in this, in this light, but I didn't see anybody. I just seen this vision of my, of my life passing before my eyes. Then the Lord began to speak to me. And he said, do you remember the last person you bought cigarettes from? I was like an hour or so or whatever before at a variety store. He said, do you remember them? And in my mind I thought, not really, Lord. He said, do you care? I said, I, I never thought about it, you know. His major concern was this. Was I aware of people and love for them. Do I love people? And he wasn't talking about Christian, non-Christian. It was, do I love and care about people or am I totally self-centered and only think of myself? Truth was, I was self-centered. That's where we are before we come to the Lord. And that was his impact, was how do I feel about people? So I'm crying out to the Lord and begging him for another chance. He shows me about this. And then all of a sudden, it's like he's speaking to me about all these events and things. And then I begin to descend back into my body. And it's a little like, um, you know, sand in an hourglass when you flip it over and it slowly (laughs) sifts through. Only it was going that direction. It's like the sand was sifting up. What was happening was his spirit was slowly lifting up off of me, and what he was doing was veiling all these other things that he told me. And I believe what he was speaking to me, and this is just hypothetical here, that he was speaking to me about the rest of my life 
and the, the purposes and calling in my life. But at that point, there's no way in the world I could handle it. So all he did is zipped it up. I, I believe that. Whether that's true or not, someday I'll tell you, because I'm sure he'll rip it open. But he just veiled it and covered it over. And I remember going, no, no, you can't. I got to know that. You can't take that. I got to tell somebody. Nobody is going to believe this. Nobody's going to believe this really happened, right? But it all lifts off, except what I just told you. Next thing you know, I opened my eyes, and the first words that came out of my mouth were, were, I'm dead. I must be dead. Then I hear the birds tweeting in the background. I feel the cold air at 5.30 in the morning, and I look over, and this car is totaled. So now I have this revelation. The police will be here shortly. You need to get up, find somebody with a tractor, and get this thing off the road. So I went to get up and couldn't move. I was pinned there in the gravel. No pain, though. All I had is a buzzing in my side. No pain, absolutely nothing. Never ever felt anything in the physical in that whole situation. So then I'm thinking, oh, shoot. So then the, the first thing that happened is a truck driver came, stepped over me, looks at me, says, how's it going, and offered me some beans. That's speed for those that don't know, to make me feel better. And I said, no, I don't think I should take that because they won't like that when I go into the hospital. You know, they test me for this. This isn't going to be good, so No. Then the police arrive, and then the ambulance arrives, and they said, you broke your back, we need to take you into the hospital. So they put me on a board, and then they rushed me into the hospital. They get me in there, they do some x-rays, and then they come in, and they said, you're bleeding to death, we have to operate now. No waiting, let's go. And, and that was because they checked, and my blood pressure was going way up and then going way down, which meant to them that my spleen was ruptured, and I was bleeding to death. So they whipped me. I remember flying down the hallway. It's like watching this videotape, right? You're seeing all these people go by. And next thing I know, I'm in the operating, and the lights are up there. and going, oh, my gosh, you know? And then I'm slowly, things disappear. <clears throat> I wake up later to find out they'd ripped me open 27 stitches to find nothing wrong. A few organs bounced around. I'm totally healed. It's gone. The spleen's fine. There's nothing wrong with the spleen. I'd been healed. Now, they didn't have an answer for that, so they call it an exploratory. See, if they don't call it an exploratory, you know, there's called a lawsuit. Anyways, <laughs> so it was an exploratory. So I walked away two weeks later from that thinking, holy smokes, what the heck happened out there? I couldn't really, I started to tell the odd person, but most people, they just like, no way, you didn't know about that, you know. So I didn't say a whole lot. Oh, yeah, my, my aunt is on her way to work that morning. She comes driving along and sees these cop cars and everything and thinks, oh, there must be an accident. She looks and then goes, my car. That <laughs> <laughs> ah, was an old car anyway. You really didn't need that car. Anyways, <clears throat> now what I didn't understand, I'll give you a couple of, of events that took place over the next four years. Um, what I didn't understand is that I'd given my life, life to Christ and I was born again out there. But I, I never ever really used that year. That was in 1974. I don't ever get April. I don't ever give that year as when I got saved because I really didn't do anything that would look saved for the next four years. 
But it's when I first had my experience with Christ, and now the next four years, I had to come to the reality of what that meant. So in the next four years, a few experiences were in 1976, I went to Jamaica. It was sort of a blur. Anyways, <clears throat> we were doing, again, a lot of drugs and stuff, and, and some of this may seem a little... Uh, like I had uh, hallucinations or something, but you'll see by the end that they're not hallucinations at all. Anyways, 1976, I'm in Jamaica. So one morning I go up in the mountains and we smoke some, some pot and they roll them in bags there, not just papers. They roll them in like a brown bag. It's about this big around, this 12-year-old kids, you know. Anyways, <clears throat> so we smoke a joint with this guy and he's a Rastafarian. And he lives in this incredible place. It's in like a little shack in the mountains, but it overlooks the ocean, and it was beautiful. Anyway, we're up there, and uh, as I was standing there talking to this guy, it was like all of a sudden, it's like somebody turning a dial, uh, like a, a light, you know, where you can turn the lights and dial them down, you know, until you turn them out. Where they got, um, thank you. A what? Dimmer. Yeah, dimmer switch on a light. S- somebody was turning down my dimmer switch. Right? They were dialing this down, and I could feel my spirit slowly starting to leave my body. And all of a sudden, um, this voice says to me, you're going to die. I was ODing. But you can't OD on pot, really, can you? So I was having an experience you know, with the devil here. And uh, I could feel my life leaving me, and he's telling me I'm going to die. And needless to say, I was really freaked out about that. And... Um, but I had enough pride, if you can believe this, that I didn't want anybody else to know I was dying there. Pretty stupid, eh? It's good to, to share about pride in the midst of this because then you get to see how ridiculous it actually is. So I didn't want them to know about it, so I just went and I laid back on this bed, and it's like everything was starting to go into reverse. And I'd done lots of chemicals, so it wasn't like pot would do anything like this. It's like I'd stepped into this spiritual experience. And everything was sort of going backwards, and I'm thinking, what the heck, you know? And then my friend goes, hey, Brownie, what's happening? I said, no, everything's cool, everything's cool. And he said to this guy, he goes, hey, he goes, do you read the Bible? So there was a Bible laying open on this table. And I think he was into a lot of witchcraft and stuff personally. But he had this Bible there. And he goes, oh, yeah, man, I read that once in a while. So he picks it up, and he starts to read something from the book of John. Now, I know John because of my name. I haven't got a clue what he read. I just know that because he said John. I went, oh, that's my name. So anyway, he's reading something from the book of John. And at that moment, whatever he spoke out in the Scripture, the Holy Spirit came to me and began to speak to me. And he said, John, you're going to be all right. Just get up and walk. And so all of a sudden, this incredible feeling came over me, just this wonderful feeling. To me, it was a little like masculine. It was just like I felt incredible strength. I felt good. And I just got up and began to leave this place and just carried on getting high every day. And we carried on and continued to party. About a year later, or maybe it was six to eight months later, I'm back in Stratford, and I'm at... uh, Susan's brother's house, actually. And uh, we didn't know each other yet. And <clears throat> I used to hang out with him a little bit. And so I was at his house, and we'd done some mushrooms, and I was downstairs, and we were shooting some pool, and 
All of a sudden, the same feeling came over me again. Now, there's a lot of drugs in between here, so, but these are like interventions where things take place. All of a sudden, uh, the same kind of thing started happening again, only this time, with it dialing down, I could smell this smell, and it was in my mouth and in my throat, and it was like, I don't know, like hair or flesh burning. It was a horrible thing. And I'm going, oh, my. And I had this voice that says, you're going to die. Again, there's like a party going on. I don't want to see these people see me die here. So I thought, i got to go home. So I call a cab. I get in a cab, and I'm going home. And when I get home, all I hear all night are these voices speaking to me. And they're telling me all about the Western world and the delusions people are under and that people are programmed through TV and programmed through all kinds of different methods in order to control them. And just all this stuff's flooding my mind. It's like, oh, my gosh. So I was up most of the night with all the lights on, by the way. Remember, I had fear. So I had all the lights on. And uh, I, uh, I called this girl. And uh, she had been a witch, but I'd, I'd heard that story that she'd been a witch. So I called her, and I said, you know, what the heck is going on here? And uh, she said uh, uh, that there was these attacks going on to me. And I thought, oh, that's ridiculous, you know. It didn't make any sense to me. So she gave me this book called The Vision by David Wilkerson. He wrote this book in 1975, I believe. This is late 1977. So I began, and it's a 20th century vision of the way things would begin unfold socially, economically, and and, uh, in the world and in the church. And so as I began to read this book, things began to make more and more sense. Now, at the same time, there was still a lot of spiritual experiences happening to me. You know, one night I was on acid with a bunch of people, and all of a sudden this presence came in the room, and this voice began to speak to me, and I thought, too high, man, too high, right? And the voice said to me, John, what are they doing? And I looked across the room, and everybody was sort of laughing at a crack in the floor or something. Like, who knows? It didn't make, you know. (laughs) They were looking for relief from pain like I was, basically. But they looked like they were crazy or insane. And I said, I don't know. And he said, why then? Why are they doing it? And then he disappeared. He just, his presence lifted off. So these events, those are just some. Lots of events took place where the devil would intercede and come in, and, and then the Lord would come and speak. And I was in this major war going back and forth and back and forth. I was having a lot of dreams, demonic dreams, a lot of stuff going on. Basically, I was in hell. And it was horrible. And I was terrified. There's a word for you. I was terrified. Because I didn't know where to turn, who to turn to, or anything about it. I had no Christian friends, and I didn't know anything. Except Joseph had a coat of many different colors. Right? That's all I knew. So I was like, what the heck is going on? What is happening? And do you know what I felt like? This is the impression that was impacted on me. I was being pushed in the corner to make a decision and being pressed. Strike one, Jamaica. Strike two, in Steve's basement. Strike three, and you're out. Right? And I had this feeling that I would be dead before I was 25 years old. And I was sort of freaked about this. And I began to go, 
Why? Why is this happening to me? Why is it that everybody else can party around me and nobody's bothering them? What, am I, what did I do? What are you picking on me for? You know why? Oh, thank God he was. What is happening? Why am I being pressed into this corner to make some kind of decision? I don't understand. And I was really angry about it. So then this, uh, this guy I was connected with doing drug deals and stuff, he came to my house one day, and I just smoked a joint with him, and he left. It was in the middle of the afternoon. And I went back upstairs and cranked up the music, and I used to party by this point by myself quite a bit. I didn't need anybody else to get high. And so I was up there, and music was on, and all of a sudden this whole feeling began to come over me that uh, somebody was going to kill me. And I could feel it coming and coming and coming towards me. So I cranked the music off. I thought, what the heck is that? I went and looked, and the door wasn't, you know, nobody's at the door. That's nuts. So I went back, turned the music on. Then it started coming again. So then I turned the music off, and the next thing I know, this presence came into the room. And it was like somebody was standing right over here, but I couldn't see them, but I knew they were there. And the whole room began to descend like an elevator shaft. Now you can, you don't have these kind of trips on pot, right? The whole room began to descend like an elevator shaft, and then it began to stop. And as it stopped, it's like we were in the bowels of the earth. And the, the whole room, the carpet was green, but it started looking like moss, and the walls were all this pukey yellow color, and it was horrible. And the whole room was resonating like a heartbeat. It was probably my heartbeat. But I didn't notice. It was, you know, boom, boom, right? And I said, who's there? And the voice said to me, I'm the devil. And at that moment, man, I, it's like I just dropped to my knees. And I'd been reading this book, The Vision, and it talked about Jesus, right? And I cried out and I said, Jesus, help me. And at that moment, bam, I was sitting back in my living room. All of it had ended. My heart is now really thumping, right? And I'm going, oh, my God, what is going on? You know, I got to quit doing these drugs. <laughs> this is not good. Anyways, I, can, I continued on um, reading this book by David Wilkerson. And uh, at the end of the book, there was a prayer. And in January 1978, I got down beside my bed, and I said this prayer. It was in the back of the book. It said, Jesus, I don't understand what's going on. I see in this book that a lot of different things that you have said have taken place. And that there are things coming on the earth that scare the hell out of me, to be honest with you. I'm being honest. Heavy things. And I said, I don't know what to do. But I said, I need to know the truth. I want to know truth. So I ask you to come and live in my life. Come to me. Live in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of... I, I didn't say sins. All the times I've screwed up and the things I've done wrong to people. And I said, teach me truth and show me yourself. Now, at that moment, you'd think, okay, we're on the sunshine side now, right? No. At that moment, it seemed like a movie, a bad movie. I know you're not going to have a hard time believing this, but the temperature began to drop in the apartment, and it started to get cooler. And the, the heaters started cracking and making all these noises, 
An incredible fear blanketed me and my body began to vibrate in the bed. I guess some deliverance was probably starting to take place without my knowledge or understanding of it. And my body's vibrating in the bed and this fear is just everywhere. Now, I, at this time, I'd, I'd been now waking up in the mornings reading this book and I'd flick on the TV and there'd be 100 Huntley Street. Lo and behold, thank God for 100 Huntley Street. So I'd turn it on and I'd watch it for a little here and a little there. And so I, I knew that they were on late at night. So I got up and I turned it on. I got a phone number and I phoned them and I said, what the heck is going on? And they said, well, you've given your life to Jesus. This is the first time I ever got to hear tongues too. They were praying in tongues on the phone for me in the spirit. And, and they said, you've given your life to Christ and the devil's come back to claim you. Because you were involved in drugs and dealing drugs and stuff, you know, he had you, and he's come to take you back. And so there's this war over your soul right now. But he said, it's real easy. You just stand up and tell him, the devil, in the name of Jesus, that he has to leave, and he will leave. I said, oh, good. Thank you. So I get off the phone. I'm having this nightmare, right? Only it's alive and it's going on from day to day to day for four years. So I get off the phone. Now, I didn't have all that Christian de- lingo down yet. So when he would come, I'd tell him to get the F out of my house. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Right? Now, being a baby in my diaper there, right? I'm in a diaper, remember. The Lord has incredible grace on me. So it's like standing in a swimming pool where all of a sudden the water would move away from you and then, boom, it would come back. So we're in this war now. So a couple holes in my wall from my fist and probably, you know, this whole battle goes on and eventually I go to sleep again with all the lights on. Now the next night it comes back and it's even worse And I'm in this battle, on and off. And I don't know why he picks three in the morning with me, but I guess the devil's never been a nice guy, right? So uh, three in the morning, there he is, doing this warfare with me again. So on and off, on and off. So finally, I, I, I was really freaked by it. So I called my friend, and I said to him, look, I said, come over and get me. So he comes over, and he's, he's at the door, and he, he's trying to get the door open, and it's not locked. I know you're going to have a hard time believing some of this stuff, but he's trying to get the door open, and it's not locked, but he can't get in. So I go, and I remember, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I'm walking down the hallway, and right on the end of the wall, we, uh, my wife had this corn. You know, you can get corn. It's supposed to ward off evil spirits, right? It doesn't work. It's hanging on my wall, Right? And so I'm walking towards it, and I'm going, a lot of good that did, right? You know? So anyway, I go down the stairs, and I pull the door open, and there he is. And he's got a crowbar in his hand, and he thinks, bad drug deal, somebody's there, and they're trying to do me in, right? I said, no, 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 no. I said, I need to go to your house. I can't stay here anymore, right? And it's funny because, you know, Sue's brother had told her later that, that you know, the devil was up in that house, man. The devil wasn't up in that house. He was in this house, and he was, you know, driving me crazy. Anyway, but it's the best way they could understand it. <clears throat> but, you know, 
I went away from that house and I spent a week living at uh, Gord's house. And during that week, man, it was incredible. It's like I'd been washed on the inside, you know? It's like that old saying, the sky was blue, bluer and the grass was greener. You know, you'd see a, an ant going across the sidewalk and you'd step over the ant because he deserved to be here too. Really. All, you know, there'd be a movie on TV and somebody would get shot and I would start to cry. Yeah. Tell me our hearts haven't got a little heart. The Holy Spirit would right away witness with me about death, you know? And, and I'd start to weep and cry. And so I felt brand new. I just felt incredible. And I had this sixth sense now. It's like whenever I went anywhere, I could sense evil and I could sense good. If I went into a house and they were doing something that wasn't so good, I could tell you right away. I had incredible discernment on evil presences and good and the Holy Spirit. So for a week, all I did is read the Bible because I had to know what was going on. I prayed like this, God, what the heck is going on? I gave you my life and it feels incredible, but like I'm just terrified and all this stuff's going on. I don't understand any of it. You're going to have to help me. I don't know who to talk to. It's like I have no grid work for the spirit world and I'm thrown head first into the deep end. What is going on? So I'm reading the Bible fervently while they watch TV and smoke dope and think, what the heck's he doing, you know? And I just remember reading the scripture, reading uh, books, a book I found, I got by uh, Billy Graham called Angels, 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 uh, just devouring this stuff and listening to this one lousy record, sorry, Lord, but there wasn't any music around. At that time, the only thing there was was Larry Norman, and he had one record called On Rock, and it really wasn't that great, but, you know, compared to Led Zeppelin, you know, it just wasn't cutting it. The ones down the road were great, but there wasn't a lot of music. That bummed me out, too. I had all these albums and this one little record over here, and now I had to get rid of all that, and I had to go to that. And, well, anyways, God worked that out in the end, didn't he? Lots of choices now. Anyways, I was devastated there, crying out to the Lord, seeking his face. And the Lord said, if you seek me, you shall find me. If you knock, the door will be open. If you seek the Lord with your whole heart, he will come to you. That's truth. And I was seeking him with my whole heart. Why? Because I had to. Because I was in the deep end of the pool with no life preserver but Jesus. And I had to get to him fast before I drowned. Now after one week, I went home. Look, let's look up a scripture. Ezekiel chapter 1. Let me, can I use your Bible, Tosh, for a minute? There are a lot of translations here. But I want, before I enter into this vision, I had an open vision where the Lord brought this thing all together for me. But just let me lay a little bit of a foundation thing here for you. Ezekiel chapter 1. 
You got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. All right, everybody's with me. 1 verse 4 says, As I looked, I saw a great storm coming toward me from the north, driving before it a huge cloud like that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. The fire inside the cloud glowed like gleaming amber or beryl. In different translations, they use different words to show this. If you move down to verse 15, 115. I have to learn to read this Bible, Tosh. Here we go. This is, this is Ezekiel, and he's having a vision of the cherubs, the angels around the throne of God by the river Chabar. He said, as I looked at these beings, I saw four wheels on the ground beneath them, one wheel belonging to each. The wheels sparkled as if made of crystal light. All four wheels looked the same. Each wheel had a second wheel turning crosswise within it. The beings could move forward in any of the four directions they faced without turning as they moved. Now, again, different translations. I looked this up again last night. Thank you. And um, it originally helped me to understand this crystal light is like an olivine or a greenish mineral. It's got a pale green, uh, and it's a precious stone. Um, and again, you have this amber color, yellowy amber color. These were what the cherubs looked like that, that Ezekiel seen. Now, when I went home after one week, I was sitting in my living room, and all of a sudden felt drawn to go to the bathroom, and not because I had to go to the washroom, just all of a sudden I felt compelled. So I got up and I walked into the bathroom, and as I walked into the bathroom, I opened the door, and I reached in and flicked the light on, and as I'm closing the door behind me, I noticed that the light seems to be getting bright. You know sometimes how a light bulb goes before it burns out? It starts to get bright like that? Well, this one did that, only it kept getting brighter. So I turned and I looked at it, and then the whole wall opened up in front of me. Now I'm having, and I'm wide awake. I've been seeking the Lord for a week because I'm drowning in the deep end. I'm standing in the bathroom looking straight into the spirit world now with no veil. The wall's open. And right in front of me, there's a bright light. And to the right and to the left are seemingly, when I first glanced at them, they looked like UFOs or something because they were wheels. And they were turning and they were going like that. And as they turned, there was like this yellowy green colors coming off them. And every time they turned, it's like thousands of volts went through the top of my head and out my feet. Power like you wouldn't believe, just like you could lift a house. That's the kind of power it felt like. Incredible power just surging through my body. And I looked at these, and then I looked at the bright light right in the center, and I said, God, and he said, yes. I said, Jesus. He said, yes. I went, I don't believe it, man. 
I don't believe it. It was more real than we are in this room right now. Literally, more real than anything you've seen or touched. I could not, I was so overwhelmed, I couldn't believe it. And here I am speaking it out saying, I don't believe it. You're alive. You're not just in this book, in these pages. You're living and alive. And there he was. And as I was standing there, he said, be still, my son, and listen. And all of a sudden, he began to speak to me. Now, what he did was, right from the moment I got saved, back in the car accident, remember I had all these questions. What the heck is going on, God? And I'm whining for a week to him about it, right? Scripture says, before they ask, I will answer them. Even before we can ask him, when I came into his presence, he began to give me answers. Bang, 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 just like that. They just started coming like a flood. And I was seeing everything that had happened to me for four years and understanding all those events and what, what it was all about. And all I could do like a little child is stand there and go, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Just impacting me with the reality of his all-knowing, all-caring, and all-loving being. Now, one of the things I really understood about was there was two things I was experiencing. Number one, I was experiencing the love of God. And it was like, you, you know, when you have certain experiences with the Lord, you, the English language, you can't even get words for it. You can't even, how do you, how do you try to relate to somebody, something like this? You just, it's hard to put into words. All I can tell you is it's like liquid love. It's liquid, liquefied. It's so thick and so incredible that it was just flooding my being. And I was, it was the, the only thing I ever used to do to try to relate to people on this level was I said, it's a little like a baby at its mother's breast where it feels totally helpless and yet at the same time totally secured in that place, totally cared for. And that's the way I felt. I knew at that moment that I'd come from him, that he was my father, that I came from God to earth and I was here and that he knew me and I was it was so incredible to know the love of God in that way it just impacted me so heavily and he knew didn't he the very devastation inside my heart see what was missing it's funny that I related it to a mother and a child but that's what I felt this incredible love filling the voids inside of me He's showing these things, and then he says to me, well, he sh I, I always sort of relate it like this, like 5% fear, 95% love. But he showed me the reverence of God, and it's probably not very theologically correct. One day I should actually research this to see. But this is what he said. I can only give you the witness of what, it, what he impressed on me, and that was this. That all of a sudden I recognized that God was totally in control of all things. That nothing slipped by the Lord. Anything you see on TV, anything that goes on is not slipping by God like he's out of control. God is absolutely 100% in control.
in charge of the universe, in control. He showed me at that moment that I could not run and hide anywhere. There was nowhere to hide. It was about me and him. It didn't matter. Nothing else existed around me, not even the clothes on me I was aware of. It was just me and him. I was naked in my spirit before him. And it was like, at that moment, if he decided I didn't exist, he could just erase me from the earth and take me out of everybody's mind. No one had ever known I was ever born. Gone. Yeah? God knows everything. He could just remove me, thank you, Norlene, from the earth. And what that did was impacted me with his all the reverence of God, the fear of God. Now, that carried me for many years because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. What that did is impacted me with the reality that God was in charge of every step of my life, that it was okay, and that I needed to um, allow him to be God. So there was a reverence fact to this, right? Because of the very fact that he was God and had a plan. Now, <clears throat> he said to me, he said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and brought you to this place. What place? The place of the cross. And he, what he was saying was, Decide whether you're going to follow me or turn away. Four years in a storm after the car accident, right? I'm a slow learner, what can I say? Four years. Some people get it right away. I don't know why it took me four years to find it through the, through the trees and to come out to the other side. But he was calling on me to make a decision at that moment. There was no decision as far as I was concerned. And then he showed me a, a globe. I could see this blue planet. It was the earth. And it was revolving. And I looked on it, and there was these little lights all over it. And as I looked at the lights, I recognized they were people. And yet, when I looked at them, it was like they were in heaven. And yet they were still on the earth. And I'm saying to God, I don't get it. How can you be in heaven and be on the earth? Don't, don't you have to die to get to heaven? And then slowly after that, he began to reveal to me, yeah, that I have died, right? And become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things have become brand new. That now he who is the light of the world, Jesus Christ, lives in me, lives in you. And heaven has already begun. Heaven has already begun in my heart. All I'm going to do is change my clothes. When I die, that's all I do, right? Just change my clothes. Take this body off and put the new one on. But nothing else is going to, like heaven is already, I'm just walking down the same road. You know, we're surrounded by, it says, a cloud of witnesses that are with us. So the Lord was saying that all these things, you know, he's come to do. Then he said, I looked and I've seen young people dying. I've seen them getting killed in car accidents. I've seen them ODing on drugs. I've seen them dying in, in uh, suicides. I've seen people dying everywhere. And then he said, John, go and tell them I'm alive. 
And that was the impact was that people need to know Jesus Christ is alive and that he loves them. He's the best kept secret, right? And at that moment, it lifted off, just began to lift off. Next thing you know, I'm standing in the bathroom. You know, the walls are there again. It's like I've had this pretty wild experience and my life has changed now. Now, after that, you'd think everything would get really good. Yes. Which part? Yes. Um, at that point, I lost everything. My wife left me, and everything began to dissolve. Friends walked away. I'm by myself, literally paying a price for the whole thing. I had a dream, and in the dream, I was married to a girl with brown hair, and I had three children. Don't ex I know that this seems a bit strange at a point when I'm still married to somebody, but they left me. And it says, if the unbeliever goes, let them go. And... I had this dream, and it seemed strange to me. I remember waking up thinking, that is really weird, you know? And <clears throat> one night, I literally wanted to die, and I was, and did something to try to. And I was sitting in, in the living room, and as I was there, um, and I was crying, and, and saying to God, you know, you know, I gave everything. Everything's, you know, destroyed here. What the heck, you know? Like, what am I supposed to do? You know, I just want to come home. And he began to speak to me and said, John, for those tears I died. For every one of them that you're shedding right now, I died. And he said, oh, man of little faith. He said, I will give back to you everything that you have lost and much more. I now am married to somebody with brown hair and have three children. God fulfilled that word. He has given back so much more than I ever had because <clears throat> not only has he healed me and uh, of the whole loss of my parents and the abandonment and all those things, no, not only did he heal me of the fact of not having a family, all of a sudden I had all kinds of brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. A huge church family all over the world. And then he gave me a revelation of the Father heart of God in order to cement me and strengthen me. Do you realize that the only thing that holds you back in everything you're doing are things that the devil has placed in you that are lies, like fear and insecurities and all those things to stop you from stepping forward into the very destiny and calling God has in your life. And that God is more than able to do these things. He's able to take little old me, a drug addict, less than zero, right? who was terrified of speaking in public and caused me to be able to share in front of people. All right? Because it's who he is and because he strips away the lies.
So anything that's holding you back in any different ways, it's the enemy and it's a lie. Back to what Oprah said, right? Once you know who you are in Christ, I'm adding to what she said. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free when you literally recognize who you are. What is the difference between us, each one of us, and some of the individuals that have walked in great places in the Lord, you know, that we've read about, John the Baptist, you know, any of these individuals? It's because they allowed the working outs of God in their lives to strip away the lies and all the deceptions of the devil in order that they could walk in the power of who God is and touch a world that is in a river passing into hell. God wishes that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. I want to end with this scripture in Isaiah 49, verse 15 and 16, which is one of the cement foundation stones of what God did for me. He gave me this scripture when I was wanting to die in that living room that night. And two years later, as I was receiving deliverance, Carol Arnott spoke this same scripture to me without any knowledge, saying, God gave me this scripture. I don't know what this means to you. It's Isaiah 49, verse 15 and 16, and it goes like this. Can a woman forsake her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forsake you. They may forget you, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are continually before me. The Lord said, even your mother has forsaken or forgotten you. But I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I've inscribed you. Every time I look at the nail prints in my hand, I look down and I say, Norlene. I look and I say, Ray. Tilly. Every one of us. He's inscribed through his death in, our hand, in his hands a remembrance. And then he says, your walls, what are walls? Problems. Things that you have to climb over. Your problems are continually before me. He's the one working them out. Amen? Let's stand.